You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Okay, and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network Episode 2. And this episode, guys, it's How to Invest in Weed Stocks 101. I think we're breaking it down to how to invest 101. How to invest 101, and and that's really um, at a high... This is a very high-level episode. We want to talk today about investing in general, but really focus it on this industry and how we think about investments. As a reminder, my name is Manish. We're here with uh, my Abby Timo. Abby, yeah. Abby Timo, the man, the legend. And uh, coming off another Raptors win. I think these podcasts are good luck, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think we can only do them after Raptors wins. That's the that's the key. I, I concur. Yeah. I concur. So uh, how to invest in Weed Stocks 101, but really, as Abby said, it, it's we're talking about the fundamentals of investment, how we think about investing, um, and then how we think about it in the context of the cannabis industry. So again, very important to start with the fact that we are not investment advisors. We are simply here to share our personal opinions. And by the way, Abby and I haven't really talked about this yet. So we are going to have different viewpoints. I think we're going to see a lot in common, but we're going to also have our own viewpoints on how to look at things because I come from the commercial real estate world. Abby, you're from the fixed income world. So the way we think about investing in general, I think will be different. I do want to say one more thing, and I think you're 100% right. Please note that Manish, I know Manish did mention that we are not financial advisors. We this, These are not recommendations in any way, shape, or form. You should always seek a professional consul, uh, advisor or consultant prior to making any investment decision, regardless of how small or how big. Yeah, like my investment consultant, for example, is usually the Magic 8-Ball. So. I would... I, I don't know who else uses anything different. Okay. Uh, I, right. I, I use I'm, the same thing as well. I'm joking, but we'll kick it off here. So let me go through the agenda. I'll give people, uh, give you everybody at home a little taste of what we're going to talk about. And uh, you know what? This is a really, this is a pretty uh, thorough list here. So, you know, odds are if we don't cover anything here today, we'll cover it on the next episode. Okay. So I'm going to run through it right now. So we're going to talk about the mentality that goes into buying a company and how we think about investment as buying a company as opposed to buying a stock and how we think about valuation of companies and how we think about investing in companies and the difference between investing versus trading. Okay, and that's all one point, so you can see what I'm saying here. The second is the biggest lesson that I've learned in investing, which is the importance of patience and long-term focus and how this industry that we're looking at compares to more traditional industries like commercial real estate. Then we're going to talk about the state of the market from a macro picture. We're going to talk about venture investing in general and what that carries with it. We're going to spend a a lot of time talking about the art of picking a winner and three key considerations that you should be thinking about. The importance of research we're going to touch on. Then we're going to talk about portfolio theory. We're going to talk about human psychology and how to set yourself up for success and good decision making. And then we're going to close it off talking about 
uh, resources that you can use for your research. And lastly, a little bit of advice on what to do uh, before you begin or you know, if you're going to take it up a level, an idea of what to do before that. So there you go. Sounds like a pretty uh, compelling and comprehensive agenda. That's right. Now we got to do it. Okay, so number one, and this is where um, I, I think this is a really good place to start, which is uh, to think about, in, when you think about investments, to think about, to not think about it as you buying a stock, right? Because I think stocks, especially for uh, the beginners, you know, if stocks are where you learn to invest, then I think the danger is you start to think about a stock as something that trades on your computer and it's a number and a chart, right? And if it goes down, then it sucks. And if it goes up, it's awesome, right? And that's a mistake. Uh, One thing that really changed my view on investment is uh, I'm a really big Warren Buffett fan and listening to him talk about the concept that when he purchases, uh, when he makes an investment, he's not looking at, like share price is one element of what he's looking at, but he's looking at the entire company and the price he's paying for the entire company. So whether he's buying one share or the whole company, he looks at the idea of valuation the same way. I agree. I agree 100%. Um, For me personally, whenever I think of a stock, I always think of a company. The two go hand in hand. But I know a lot of people don't. I know a lot of novice investors think that stocks are numbers on your screen. Companies are where I go to visit. But a lot of people need to realize that when you invest on a screen, you're investing with actual people. You're investing in management. You're investing in people with pedigree. You're investing in people with families. You're investing in businesses that are going to win. And, and you know what? This like this comes really naturally to me because in commercial real estate, you can't buy a sliver, right? I mean, you can buy a read or whatever, but really for the majority of, of people who are in the industry and look at it, they're always looking at, if I'm buying this building, you know, is it worth the price that I'm paying? And when they're buying the building, they're looking at really the future potential. So either they're looking at, you know, developing the building or they're looking at the future cash flow of the building, right? And this is a key consideration, especially in this industry, which is so nascent. It's very important to remember that a business from an investment standpoint is only worth the net cash flow it will generate over a period of time. Right. right. I'm going to say that again because it's so important. Right. And a business is only worth the amount of profit it can generate over time. Right. To rephrase what exactly what you just said, more from like a capital markets perspective. So exact same concept. The current price of a stock. So the price that you see on a screen right now is equivalent to the future cash flows of that stock for a predetermined period of time. So take what Manish just said. From a company perspective, take what I just said from when you're looking at your screen, the number should equal the same. It's called net present value. Right. And, of course, the challenge of investing or, you know, the fun part of investing is that we don't know what the, that future value is, right? We can guess what that future value is. We can model what that future value is, but we don't know. And that's what causes the uncertainty, and that's what makes the entire investment market. Well, the other thing with exactly with what you said, the stock market, you guys got to remember Anyone looking at this, whether it's whether it's venture cap, whether it's blue chip, whether it's small cap, mid cap, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever you want, whatever you want to look at, bonds, fixed income, sorry, bonds, equity, whatever, it's essentially 
the present value of future cash flows. So what you're looking at on the price, on the screen, is the price of the stock right at that second, okay? Um, <clears throat> I think we'll talk a little bit further about it regardless, uh, sorry, later down later on the portfolio theory aspect of it. But if you want to take real estate, uh, for example, into consideration, imagine, imagine it's Monday morning. You turn on the screen and all of a sudden the house, the condo, the place that you're living at right now has a value. We're going to call that 100 grand. Right. So, so you can see it live is what you're saying. <clears throat> exactly. Like on your phone, the same way you can stock. Exactly. So you wake up Monday morning, it says 100 grand. You go to sleep, go to your thing, whatever. Tuesday, you see 120 grand. That's amazing. It's a 20% return. Looks pretty good, right? Yeah. Are you going to sell your house? Probably not. Yeah, exactly. The movies are going to cost so much. You got to find a new place, whatever. But you know probably what? If, if you could check the value like that on your phone, people probably would sell more like that. Right? I agree. 100% agree. And we'll get into that later with the human psychology bit. But that is one of the things I learned in commercial real estate is that one of the reasons people are so successful, um, and the same thing happens actually with, with when people own businesses that they sell the whole thing. Um, because those are large-scale transactions, they have a lot of friction involved, and they take time, people really think about every decision they make. Whereas the, the, the challenge can be with something so liquid like the stock market, you know, the ability to make a decision in one second and click a button, that can really – that should be a positive, but actually it works to people's disadvantage a lot of the time. I, I do want to add one thing to that, and this is just because – I've only conducted my first real estate transaction very recently. Um, real estate, and correct me if I'm wrong, Manish, usually requires a significant amount of capital. Whatever that means to you, whatever as a listener, whatever that means to you, real estate for me was a significant amount of capital. I, had to, I, had, I went to school, went into debt, worked it off, had an income, mm -hmm. had to save some money, and bought it. The stock market... Was not so, nearly thought. So of you the same bought thing. a condo? Is that what you? I bought. I bought. I bought real estate. Yeah, I bought a condo. I bought real you estate. Bought one real estate. One real estate. I bought. I bought one <laughs> share of real estate. One, RS, one unit of real estate. RS one hundred and one. That's what I bought. That I went into my computer and put it. No, I, I bought. I, I bought a unit, um, which I, I plan to live in. But nonetheless, I bought a unit. But it took me almost ten years of conscious saving to get into it. However, though, my first stock purchase, like I said earlier on, was with my hairdresser. Right. Where I tell you right now, it wasn't it wasn't that long. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of people look at the stock market, look at the the numbers on their screen, and see it as a stock, but don't realize that the stock means equity, which is means which means ownership into a company at the end of the day. So you are buying ownership into a company in the stock. Exactly. So I think we've we've hit that point on the head pretty considerably, right? So, but the idea goes that um, if you're looking at putting money in and you're looking at buying whatever, you know, ten shares, really, what you should be looking at is the overall valuation. So if you were going to buy the whole thing, is it attractive at this price? And if so, then you buy, you know, your ten shares, your five percent, or you know, you know what I mean. Like it doesn't matter whether you're buying the whole thing or a piece of it. Although in reality, it would actually matter. But the way to think about it in my opinion, is to look at the entire business and base it off of that as opposed to just saying, well, I'm just buying you know, a couple hundred bucks worth, whatever, who cares? Um, although I will con contradict that a little bit later when we talk about how to get started, but it's important to think about when you're buying something, don't just pull up the chart and look at, you know, oh, it was 12 bucks a couple months ago, maybe it'll, it'll get there again, right? And, and that comes to a point I was talking about here. That's how I think about 
investing versus trading, right? So I think of investing as you buy something because you like it's an attractive valuation and you would be more or less okay to hold it forever, right? If it, if it earns what you think it's going to earn, then you'd be happy to own a piece of that business or real estate or asset, whatever it is, forever, right? And trading is like, hey, I think it's a little bit low right now. I'm going to buy it. It's probably going to go a little bit high and I'll sell it, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a different game. I agree. I agree. I couldn't agree more with, with, with what you're saying. I will say one thing. Let's say for your typical retail investor, you do your due deal. You find out the valuation. You're like, okay, this company is worth 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's the first thing you do before you buy? I'll tell you what I do. I go, I open the stock up on the screen and then I click on chart. Three months? Absolutely. Six months, six months, one year, five Absolutely. year. Now, that is a bad way to look at it because what happened in the past is not predictable of what happens in the future. Yes, but, and I agree with you, and everything I just said would agree with you, but I also want to concede that there is a role for looking at things like that. That comes in the human psychology part, um, which is later on, right? So we'll touch on that later. But I I do think that's important. Sorry, do you have more to say about that? Well, I wanted to say, I mean, look, like any technicians, any people who are technical analysis who look at past, past history, Please feel free to email, but I, I fully understand what your, your arguments, and I agree with it. What a technician basically does is they say the present value of the stock today, the, the price that it is right now, encompasses every single thing that's, hap- that, that's happened in the past and any trends that may happen in the future. So from a technician's perspective, they will look back on the stock. Um, we're going to take, just given our, our financial backgrounds, we're going to take more of what we call a fundamental perspective. And a fundamental looks at the future, ca- sorry, the present value of future cash flows of that business. Whereas a technician will take a look at stock market trends. Right. And But to be clear, I do think there is a role for both. And again, we'll get into that a little bit later. But 100%. if you look at a stock and you like it and you like the valuation, I believe you should buy some. But it doesn't mean, and, and this gets into a, you know, we can get. I think this is almost another episode, but when we get into the, the really the nitty gritty of um, of evaluating an investment, right? Things like looking at, especially in the cannabis industry, which is so volatile, right? If you see a company has a lot of warrants or has a lot of, you know, warrants are going to get accelerated, right? You might see a better entry point coming up, right? You might see that the price is going to tank because of X, Y, Z in the short term, and as an investor, that's an opportunity to get in, right? And that might dictate how you act, although. If you're a purely a fundamental investor, it wouldn't, right? So th- if, you're, a- if you're a purely fundamental investor, you're probably not investing in cannabis. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have no argument to that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's real. <laughs> okay, so uh, next thing is <clears throat> I started investing uh, in the stock market probably four-ish years ago, four or five years ago, and in a very small way, right, just to get my feet wet. And Sorry, not to boost your ego, but I yeah. find that super hard to believe. Why is that? Just because given your knowledge, your death, your, the, the fact how quickly you grasp on the terminology. Yeah, I just uh, – here's the thing. When I get into something, I jump in with both feet, right? So when I – like, The Oracle of Omaha, if you're listening, please note that I know he gave you a shout-out earlier. His second rule is never jump into both feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dip a toe in, right? Yeah, dip a toe in. But what, I, what I mean by that is like when I decided – uh, and this is actually a great segue, right, is, is the lesson I've learned is the importance of patience and long-term focus. So when I say long-term focus, I don't just mean the idea that, hey, I'm going to buy a stock and hold it for five or ten years, right? I also mean that for me a couple months ago, you know, I really got a lot more involved in this industry because because of things like, you know, as I mentioned to you last ep, 
you know, I invested in a company called Medifarm. I went 20X. I was like, wow, like I saw the potential. Uh, but I also felt like, hey, there's maybe not that same level of return, but there's other winners out there that, that need capital, right? For sure. For sure. You so, have not missed the boat on cannabis as of today. <laughs> you timestamp that. Yeah. Just, I, I don't know when you're listening to this, but... May 30th, 2019. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Raptors game one. Raptors game one against um, GSW. Yeah, exactly. So, so the, the point I'm making there is that when I say jump in with both feet, I don't mean like, hey, open up the piggy bank and start investing like crazy. I mean... Like lever up, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's what <laughs> that's I right. think. Borrow Yolo. money. Yeah. Uh, what, I, what I mean is I said to myself, wow, like I see this as being an opportunity that's going to span at least a couple of years. Let me invest my time. Let me invest my energy into really understanding this, right? So then it was spending hours a day researching, reading, watching videos. And, and we're going to go through later. We've got a little resource and research section. But that's what I mean by taking a long-term focus, right? If you believe that this is an industry that really has a lot of opportunity ahead of it, then it also means you should take a breath and say, okay, how can I improve what Warren Buffett calls my circle of competence, right? How can I learn more? How can I really understand what I'm seeing and how to analyze what I'm seeing and what are my weak points, right? To, to something you asked last episode, what am I afraid of? What's holding me back, right? And how can I start working on that? Because today you might not know much or anything about not even the industry, but just stocks, right? Well, most people don't know a lot about the industry. It's still, it's still, it's a, it's, it's a nascent industry. It's still, it's in its infancy. But a lot of people, including myself, like when I started investing, like in the in the stock market, sure, I know real estate, but I don't know about stocks. I don't know how to read a financial statement, right? I know a little bit, but the point I'm making is like, if you're looking at it and you're just trying to do, make some short term money, and you're like, I'm trying to make money in the six next six months, right? It's hard for you to invest in yourself. But if you're like, hey, this is a three to five to 10 year opportunity, which is going to go up and down and has the potential for a real gain, then that mentality to me is like, okay, let's read some books. Let's watch some videos. Like, let's really absorb the knowledge, not just of the industry, not just of is this stock going to go up or down tomorrow, but how do I read a balance sheet, right? What does it mean when I see a bought deal is announced? Right? How do I how do I learn more about the value chain of the industry? So these are things that take time and energy, and I don't think there's a real shortcut. And if you're not thinking long term, I think it's hard to invest in yourself the way you need to to be successful. I agree. I agree 100. There's there's no shortcut, especially in investing. And again, I know we prefaced this earlier on in the thing. Please do not, do not, do not take investment advice. That's like fifth from the source where it's like, hey, like my uncle's brother's best friend's girlfriend's ex-wife told me about this stuff. <laughs> like, don't, don't buy that stock. But so, so yeah, what, but, what, what but Manish was saying. It, no, it's funny you say that, though, because I was literally at a birthday party and somebody somehow, almost as a joke, like cannabis investing came up and somebody's dad was like talking my ear off about these various stocks. And I wasn't saying a word. I was just listening. And he literally pulled up his TD app on his phone and was showing me and he's like he's like oh this, you got to buy this stock it is a phenomenal stock look at it go i was gonna sell it but it's doing great and i'm like oh i've never heard of this company what do they do has no idea he paused and he's like you know i don't really know oh they grow weed no no, no but it, it, actually this was a non-weed stock so he, oh. but he showed me he's like oh some some video stuff i don't he's like you know it's all bs anyway guys buy companies not stocks buy companies not stocks funny thing um 
and and sorry, just to cut you off again, but like um, in commercial real estate, it would be like like somebody's like, oh, I just bought a building. You're like, oh, where is it? Oh, I don't really know. You'd be like, what? Like, like when people buy buildings, they, they know that building. Like they've gone there. They've touched it a bunch of times. Like they've really thought long and hard. It doesn't mean they're always going to make the right choice. But they've thought long and hard about buying that building. Nonetheless, yeah, that goes into well, that goes into another, another thing. But uh, similar to what you were saying about your story, I had something earlier today where somebody asked what I did, and I gave them my background and told mm-hmm. them that I'm in venture cap cannabis. Right. And guess what? They had a stock idea for me, and we looked at the stock. We kind of, I kind of gave him just my rundown of what I would look at, and then he was like, "Oh, this is why it's down 25 percent." And I'm like, "Yeah, you should have looked at the cap table. You should have looked at." This warrant option, you should have looked at when the free trading shares were going to happen. This is a junior venture. This is a very, very, very volatile stock. You need to really fully, fully, fully understand the cap table, which is short for capitalization table. It essentially tells you who's holding what stock. It tells you where everything is from a stock perspective, not a company perspective. Right. That tells you where the company stands when it goes public. Right. And it's very important to understand how to do that. And we can touch on that on, a, on another episode. I know well, that there was. Well, just no, just quickly though. What's if you look at a cap table and Typically, if you see these investor decks, a lot of companies have them at the end. I don't like when they don't have them at the end, but a lot of them do. And if and you can, if you need to, you can actually make your own cap table by reading the notes and the financials, um, which again you should be doing if if you're investing. But Abby, when you're looking at a cap table, what is like? What are you looking for? Well, let me just go back one more. When I open a deck, I open to the second last page first. Oh, you go to the cap table first? I go to the cap table before I hear the story. Because the cap table to me does not make sense. Let's say five minutes for both of us, right? You're a busy guy. I'm a busy but, guy. So what What in the cap table would you see that makes you go, whoa, 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 whoa? Like, so the first thing I look for is something called valuation. What valuation basically means is what the company is worth relative to its peers. From a standalone perspective, without getting into the fundamentals, let me preface, without getting into the fundamentals, from a, spy, from a, from a fundamental perspective in the cannabis space, valuations is just arbitrary. It's bull. It's, Valua- don't need, valuation is the price. It, it's it's the what pr- the price should be. It's, it's the price if you bought the whole company. Right. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Based off of what they're doing today. Right. Um, Which is what we're saying. That's how you should think about it is buying the whole company. Right. So you'll hear, you'll hear terms like, we're going to use $50 million. You'll hear terms like, oh, the company's worth it has a fifty million dollar valuation. It just means the company should be worth fifty million dollars today. Right. Now you're gonna hear they're gonna use an adjective called post money and pre money. Post money, post meaning after. Post money means after the raise. The raise is the fundraising they're doing right now. This is what the company's gonna be worth. So the statement will go like, oh, it's sixty five money, uh, sixty five million post money. From Using that $50 million example from before, we can do the calculation. They're raising $15 million. 65 minus 50 equals 15. That's the raise. You take the pre-money valuation, which is 50, add the $15 million raise, and you get 65, which, 65 million, which is the post-money valuation. So, so, so typically, though, when I see these, I'm really – correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm only really focused on the pre-money. Always focus on the pre-money. Right, okay. Because the post-money means your money's already there. Right. And Always very, focus on the pre-money. And very important to point out as well, and we'll, I think we'll touch on this. We'll really break this down more in another episode when we, when we go into the like dissecting a company. Absolutely. But fully diluted market cap is so important to look at. And, I mean, here, why don't you kick off? What's the difference between 
explain explain like fully diluted and what you look for in a full full dilution. I I really don't look for a full, full dilution because okay, so full dilution from a theoretical perspective, any business school student hearing this is going to be like, "Well, you're wrong." Blah, blah blah blah. No, I'm definitely like, look, I could be wrong, whatever. But what I'm trying to say, a fully I don't look at fully dilution because directors, owners, and people who actually believe in the company are not going to dilute their their shares. They shouldn't be striking their options. If, if if the stock goes to let, let's use one dollar, let's say it's a fifty cent stock, and, it, and and your options at one dollar, if the price goes to one hundred one, like you shouldn't be, you should not be striking your options. If I was a shareholder, if I was a, if I was the the principal financier in that company, and I found out that a director exercised their options, and what what that term exercise your option means means, so an option is essentially whatever, regardless of what the stock price or the company price or the valuation. Remember, stock price, company price, valuation, all same thing, is you can buy that stock at whatever price this contract states. So let's say you want to buy Air Force One shoes from Nike. The retail price is uh, $100. You've got an option to buy it at $90. You're never going to buy it for $80. You're going to buy it from $100, right? So what essentially an option means is as soon as it it goes over the price that your option is. So I have an option or a warrant at a dollar. If the stock price goes to a dollar or one, you can ex- exercise it and you made one cent profit. Well, sorry, hang on. You can exercise the option anytime. You can exercise the it doesn't option. Doesn't matter what, any... the, what the price is, but when it goes above the price, it makes sense to exercise the option. Exactly. You got it. You got it. You got it. But going back to what I was saying with anyone who's a director, who's C suite, who's management, who's a good shareholder, if they start exercising their options very thin, very, very, very close to whatever the strike price is, the strike price is the price in the contract. Which is also an option. Um, if it's very close, it's called thinly traded. If it's if it's called thin, so if they if they're very 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 thin in where they decide to strike their uh, their option, you know they're willing to sell your stock. So it's like I, I would never want I would never want their money. I guess when you when I say fully diluted, what I'm talking about is if there's I'm gonna use Medifarm as an example because I know it pretty well. So there's a hundred million shares outstanding. Right, so if you go on Yahoo Finance it, and you look at the market cap, which is often what I do just off the cuff you'll see 100 million shares, right? But then if you open the cap table, you'll see, yes, there's 100 million shares outstanding, like issued in the marketplace, but there's warrant and options for another 40 million shares, right? So, you know, if the stock is five bucks and you have 100 million shares outstanding, when you look on Yahoo Finance, you're going to see a $500 million market cap, right? But that's not taking into account those $40 million, or sorry, 40 million share, share options, Right. So if those share options are struck, right, then you then you're going to have 140 million shares and your company's now worth 900 million. Right. So at the same five dollars. Right. Right. So with right. all those options struck now, like to get one dollar higher on your share price means it means a, a larger increase on the on the company valuation. Yeah. So to, to dig a little bit further, he's the exact same example that you just used to dig a little bit further. You got to find out who's holding those options and you just ask the person who's bringing this company to you, where are these being held? And if they're like, well, 40 percent is with management. That usually means 40 percent of whatever options are out there are not going to be exercised. Right. Because. Like I said earlier, you don't want someone who's going to be exercising your options very very soon. They have the ability to do it. Maybe if, if the stock goes the 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 one dollar so, stock. So that if we a lot use, of the options are management held, that's okay. But if there's a lot of warrants from like previous financing, that's a negative. Right. That's a that's a big red flag. Okay. Okay. Good. Let, let's let's move on because we can get a lot more into this. But let's let's keep it rolling. So the the key point 
I was making here, and by the way, we're only on the second point. <laughs> we're like halfway through the episode, but that's fine. Um, the key point I was making is the, the concept and importance of patience and long-term focus, not only in the investments you make, but in yourself and how you invest in your own learning and learning more about you know what you're getting into, right? And if you believe in this industry and the long-term potential of it, then it makes sense to really invest time and energy of yours into learning about it. Absolutely. But however, I am a millennial and I have never heard this word patience before. Yeah, is this right? Is this like like uh, is this like web 3.0? Like that's I, right. I, I, what is patience, you know? That's right. Like well, so so uh, a quick little um, I, I guess another thought here and this is kind of a running theme for me, but if you want to get better at something, uh, you know, obviously we're talking about cannabis investing, but if you want to get better at anything, my favorite way to do it is put yourself out there, put yourself in the mix and try to find somebody who you know who you can talk to about it who is also interested and seems pretty sharp right and who you can trust and be honest with those are the, if you can meet somebody who's already doing it and has experience and you can you know just talk to them about it and, and you know enjoy talking to them about it that is such a great way to learn and it's probably the number one tip i give to new people getting into real estate it's find somebody who's successful and approach them and make friends with them and buy them lunch and pick their brain well, but but define successful. Yeah, good question. I mean, um, okay, in real estate, I mean, it's a little easier, right? Because you can look at people who've had successful projects. Like they could be the entrepreneurs, they could be brokers, but people who have experience, who have been doing deals. You look at their pedigree and you say, "That's who I want to be." Right. And I mean, I can't even tell you how many people I've talked to, and and you know, I'm a young guy, and and they're typically older, and I I say, "Listen, I'm so impressed by." you know, what you've done, like, how do I become the next you? And people always have a laugh at that. And they, you know, and they're usually pretty good spirited, but it's very rare that somebody hears that from somebody who's, you know, uh, usually when I ask that question, like grow a foot and a half and uh, yeah, yeah. like, well, I I can't, you know, it's a physical barrier. That's right. Sorry, pal. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So that's, that's a big thing in invest in yourself and, um, and yeah, and take a long-term focus. So, you know, if, if you again, if you look at it as a company that you're buying the whole thing, you know, you'd probably be a lot more selective and you wouldn't buy something just because it's a little bit cheaper. It's down 20 percent. You know, if it was a company that you didn't want to own long term, you probably wouldn't pick it up. Right. So, exactly. So that's exactly. just a way to a way to think about it. Now, macro picture. This is very important. We touched on this last episode and you talked about something called a, a momentum trade. Right. And so explain to me what a momentum trade is again. A momentum trade is just essentially, without using the word momentum so many times, a momentum trade is just an influx of capital, an influx of buyers, not sellers, buyers coming in and bringing the price up, 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 up. So think of like a high tide raises all ships. So you got ships on the pier, a high tide, that's your momentum coming in. Now the height of those ships are significantly higher than they were, whatever. Replace shifts with stock price. That's what a momentum trade is. A momentum trade is when an influx of capital comes in and an influx of buyers come in. Right. So what you're talking about really is getting in early. No, not 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 in uh, not in a momentum trade. Um, I always think you should get in early. Always no, get no, in but, early. But hang on. When I say early, I don't mean necessarily getting in super early on a company. I mean getting in on an industry early. Yeah. If you if you could time prior to uh, oh, like, uh, like that's, a, that's a momentum, the momentum trade. trade is, yeah, right? it's like you're, surfers. You're right? getting in. You're investing today. And there's a lot more people coming after you who will buoy what you're investing in. Right, right, right. 
So think of like surfers. Surfers will, they don't just wait for a beach. They check the weather reports and they find out, oh my God, there's a massive wave coming in here. Then they go to the, the beach prior to the wave coming in. Right, but if they you have can to be get, at the right beach. They have to be at the right beach. Right. If you can get in at the stock prior to the momentum trade, it's good. Actually, no, I shouldn't say stock. If you can get into the right industry prior to the momentum trade, then you'll see the high tide. Right, steps, right, right. Okay. And I have an analogy, actually. I was thinking about this. So cannabis is, is really interesting because it's essentially it's essentially a brand new industry. Although, you know, the cannabis trade has been around forever illegally, we don't have the information we have on every other industry, right? So again, thinking about the commercial real estate world, a metaphor would be like if like today, if you show me a building and it's in the Toronto area, I know how to value it, right? Doesn't mean I'm gonna be hundred percent right. I don't. Yeah. But <laughs> but I know how to look at it and break down the components and tell you this is, you know, how the cash flow might look. We have a lot of data or what we call comparables that we can pull up and say these are what different buildings lease for. And going back to our original point, you know, a company a company or an asset is only worth the cash flow. The the you know, if somebody shows me a building, what I'm trying to do is understand what kind of rents will that building generate over time? What kind of expenses will that building have over time? And what is the net cash flow to me, the owner investor, if I purchase this building, right? Define net cash flow. Net cash flow just means your cash flow, like so the, the revenue you get in and take off all your operating expenses, right? Exactly. So the thing is, this is a very mature industry now, right? Especially in real Toronto. Estate. Real, real estate, estate, commercial real estate. So even if you were to show me a piece of land in Toronto, right, that land, I mean, what's the cash flow attached to that land? Nothing. It's a piece of land, right? But you're going to show it to me in the context of development. Hey, I'm going to build a apartment building here, right? And because of how much data we have, I can yeah. fairly confidently say, well, if you build a 800-square-foot apartment, right, a unit, I think that will rent for whatever the number is, you know, 2400 bucks, 3000 bucks, depends where you are and et cetera, et cetera, right? But you can pull together data as best you can. You can pull together other comparables and say, you know, based on similar-sized apartment buildings, this is what the expenses would be. And you can relatively confidently project out some cash flows, right? Now, again, because it's a piece of land, there's some uncertainty there, right? Right. But – because it's a mature industry, the uncertainty is not too bad, right? Whereas in cannabis, there's huge uncertainty everywhere because even the biggest companies in the world, even Canopy, we don't know what that cash flow is going to look like even a year from now. Can, can, I, can I just interject here? Respectfully so. I'm a cannabis investor. By, obviously, you guys know from last episode. If you don't, I'm, I'm, I'm very heavily invested in the cannabis space. I think the discount that you're talking about, right, the discount for why cannabis is not to what uh, real real estate is, mm -hmm. is the negative sentiment associated with cannabis. Real estate, everyone everyone will agree with you that real estate is a great investment. Well, sorry, everyone will agree with you that there's um, nothing wrong with owning real estate. Sure. Okay? Definition of capitalism, it was real estate that made the wealth the wealthy. Cannabis, though, is coming out of prohibition, so there's a negative sentiment associated with it. For sure. So because of that, people, a lot of people are just like, no, I'm out. I'm out. I, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want this. to touch it. Yeah, I don't yeah, want to be associated exactly. with it. Exactly. Like, the devil's lettuce? Yeah. <laughs> How dare you put that in front of me? Uh, it's funny exactly. that I haven't seen a company yet called the devil's lettuce. 
Oh, that's I'm sure that that's gonna be our next venture. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be our sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> Brought to you by the Devil's, Devil's Lettuce. Lettuce. That's right. Um but yeah, so it's there there's a sentiment associated with so I think I think that's for guys who wanna use Warren Buffett's approach or whatever approach, that sentiment right now has a discount. Right? Discount is a good word when you're a buyer. For if sure. Want, if you want to buy Nike Air Force Ones and they're hundred bucks. Sale. Sale's a good word. Yeah. Sale, discount. Same thing. So so great point what you're saying, and that's definitely a big reason. And to complete this analogy, what I was getting at is that like imagine if instead of having, you know, this established real estate market in Toronto, we had only land. Right? So we're it's almost like we're the pioneers of Toronto. Right? And we know people are gonna be coming here. But we don't know how many people. We don't know where they're going to live, right? We have an idea. We think we have some theories, but we don't really know where they're going to live, where they're going to work, how much they're going to pay for rent, right? So, or if they're going to pay for rent. If they're going to pay for rent, or if they're going to keep sleeping in their cars, right? Like you know, quote unquote black market, right? So, it's where we are today, as opposed to you know, 2015 or 2017, is that it's not all land, right? There's some some buildings being built. There's some under construction. There's some that are nearly finished, right? But we don't have good comparables. We don't know what the rents are going to be. We don't know what an appropriate yield is, right? We don't, know, we don't know what a fair market price for anything is, and we're still trying to figure that out, right? And, sorry, to finish it off, also there's some negative sentiment around it, but I think the really big thing is the institutional capital, by and large, is sitting on the sidelines, they have to be, right? It's a little Schedule One direct from the UN perspective. When you say institutional, right. I'm assuming family office. No, no, I, I mean like in the states. I mean the real institutional money, like Wall like, Street, like oh, but also banks. Like so, if tomorrow, if you said that banks are not allowed to lend money on real estate, you would see a real real estate crisis. That's a very good point, right? Like when we talk about, I wouldn't want to live in that world. <laughs> <laughs> Buy gold. Well, in. Uh, uh, that's a topic. I'm not going to touch that today. Uh, so by and large, the world, you know, when I say there's no institutional capital, the first thing we think about is they're not investing in equity the way you and I are, right? But from a real estate perspective, I mean, most real estate is bought with 50 to 75% debt with mortgages, right? And if you took away bank mortgages or institutional mortgages, there would still be a real estate market. There would still be a lending market. But it would all be private people, right? And private money is two to three times more expensive from an interest rate perspective than institutional money. I didn't know money. that. I didn't know that. Yeah, like if you can get a bank mortgage at you know three percent, private mortgages will start at maybe seven percent. For people who are listening that actually invest, you are you are what we consider private capital or private investment or private money, and you are a premium. Remember that. Yeah. Right? You are a premium. <laughs> Remember that, right? This is your pep talk for the day. Yeah. You are, your capital <laughs> demands a premium. Never forget You work it. it. Okay, you work it. So, so that's kind of the thought I had, right, is when I was explaining to somebody in real estate, I said, imagine tomorrow, like, what would our real estate market look like if no institutional capital could invest and or lend money? And to be clear, in Canada, they can, and they're starting to, right? But in the U.S., they cannot because it's federally illegal. You know, there's so many people who cannot invest, and there's so many people who cannot lend money. And let me tell you, that is where the a lot of the opportunity comes from. Right. Well, we got to remember, so lending money means debt. The debt market is significantly bigger than the equity market. Equity means ownership, right? So by by like a factor, like it's it's significantly larger. Well, you can't even you can't even we don't even know how big the debt market is. Right. 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 Okay. So 
getting into it, that's the macro picture. We're getting into, you know, imagine you're getting into Toronto, but it's not skyscrapers everywhere. It's a couple of buildings going up and still a lot of land out there, right? It's a little bit of the Wild West. So that's the macro picture. But again, going back to that, that Toronto metaphor, you know, if you hopefully, right, the, the rising tide will lift all boats, right? But the difference is in real estate, land is a scarcity, right? Land is limited. In this world, yeah, license might be limited. They might not. Like, we're still figuring all this out, right? So it's not to say you Artificially should Artificially held versus where land is scarce. Land is scarce. It's, it's, you know, there's real scarcity there, right? Right. So I think in general it's a good place to be because a lot of capital has to sit on the sidelines by necessity and it will come in and it will raise the sector as a whole. But I also want to be clear that it doesn't mean you should just invest in anything, and this gets to the next point, which is that you got to remember what we're doing here today is venture investing, right? Even if you're investing in Canopy, that's probably, I mean, that's the largest company. You can make a case that it's not a venture anymore. But realistically, I think it still is because if you're investing in a company where it's like, we don't make money, we literally lose money every quarter, but don't worry, in a couple of years, we're going to make money. And they're going to listen to the NASDAQ and it's going to be called Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, Anything like that is a venture, right? Like it's it has a level of uncertainty to it. We don't know. Like we we know or we yeah, we know there's a demand for people to buy cannabis in many forms, right? We don't know exactly what the number is. We don't know what form it's going to take. Like we just don't know. We don't even know if growing it and selling it's going to be profitable. Absolutely. The the industry is in its in, in its infancy and I'm going to speak only from a Canadian perspective. The legislation that was put out was using the tobacco uh, legislation. Um, I didn't know that. This is this is not tobacco. Like like, smoking cannabis is archaic. In in my opinion, this is not investing. This is just my thoughts on the industry. I think smoking ca- cannabis is archaic. I think it'll be very. If you want to look at the tobacco legislation, or t- if you want to look at the tobacco market, I think uh, dry flower weed, bud, whatever you want to call it, is going to be like cigars. You know, every now and then you're going to you're going to roll a massive blunt and there's going to be a $100, $200, $300 market for it. But I think the $10 and $5 market is going to start to dwindle. And why do I think that? Well, because you look at products like what's going to happen in October 2019 in Canada, you're going to look at uh, something we call extracts, some oils. You're going to look at vape pens. You're going to look at edibles. edibles. You're going to look at beverages, right? So when I was growing up, if I wanted to smoke weed, I would have to like hide in a basement and make sure that there was no smoke coming out. And mom, if you're listening, I never did this at home. Um, Blow through the uh, the, the bounce tube, tube, the tube, the bounce tube, tube with the bounce sheets in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's I, what I read online. I don't yeah, know. exactly, exactly. I saw it in a movie one time. Um, but yeah, so that, that that's how we used to have to do it. Why? Because that was the only way we knew how to ingest it. Now there's multiple ways to ingest it. Anybody who and grew we're just up, figuring it out, right? And but anybody who grew up as a millennial knows that smoking is bad, just like you know, drinking and driving is bad. So anyone who doesn't smoke cannabis right now, why would you start smoking cannabis? I wouldn't start smoking cannabis right now. I'd find beverages. I'd find edibles. I'd find vapes. Whatever you want. Basically, which adds to the uncertainty, right? Which ex- from an uncertainty perspective, right? We don't even know how people this are gonna is consume like, it going forward. This is like this isn't even Star Trek, ne- Star Trek Next Generation, right? I don't Wait, even know what, what came before it. What do you mean by that? Star Trek Next Generation? Yeah, but what I don't understand. Like we don't even know what's next. Uh. This is like the prequel to it. Like I like <laughs> like it's just it's it is what it is. It is what it is. Okay, so the point the point overall for venture investing to understand is that and and it's funny because here we are saying like oh my god look at all this uncertainty but. We're very bullish on it, right? And first of all, the uncertainty is what creates opportunity. But secondly, the point I'm making is 
I think it's a very potentially lucrative industry, but you have to remember the risk reward, right? So I feel like we're taking a good amount of risk. We should be getting a good amount of reward, right? So, and it also dictates how I think you should, how you should invest yourself. So for example, whatever you're investing here, I would really recommend you to think about as risk capital, right? So don't invest money here that you can't A, afford to have sit there for a while, and B, that you can't afford to lose. So I should not borrow money to invest in cannabis is what you're saying. You should not borrow money from your hairdresser to invest in their cannabis, biotech, medical, whatever startup tip they give you. Exactly. Unless you read the cap table and it looks really exciting. I don't well, know. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. If, that's if you even get the deck at that point. Yeah, that's right. Well, the, the point is like, you know, like in real estate, people borrow money all the time. That's how it works, right? You borrow money to buy an asset. Very few people who buy in cash. And if you buy in cash, it's actually pretty inefficient, right? But that makes a lot more sense in a mature industry. When you're in an industry like this where there's so much uncertainty, so much risk, it goes back to something I said last episode. Like you could do everything right. You could find a winner of a company. You could, you could find, you know, the right management team. You could be in the right place at the right time. But sometimes you just get unlucky. Sometimes things happen that are unforeseen and not even, not even that the company, you know, goes to zero might just take way longer. Right. And if you put yourself in a position where, you know, you're, you have to pay to wait, right. That's going to make, that's going to lend to you making bad decisions. Right. And whereas in real estate, one of the reasons people do so well in real estate is typically they're buying an, an income producing asset and they're getting paid to wait. Right. So they're in a position of strength in that their property is cash flowing and they don't have to sell. Right. Whereas if you're in a position where you're paying every month and you're out of pocket every month, that's going to make you more desperate. Right. right. And, and it's going to take away from your ability to make good long term decisions. Imagine using that scenario, but having to pay interest on that capital because you borrowed it. Right. Exactly. And that's and actually, if you look at people who go broke in real estate, it's typically people who own land. Right, because really, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I don't know the numbers, but by the numbers, not a lot of people go broke in real estate, or at least haven't in the last little while, last twenty years. It's been a very good market, but again, the people who do go broke typically are the ones who own land or development sites, and then they get delayed, and the site might still be a success. There's a lot of sites where they're still good sites, but land doesn't generate income, right? It's costing you money every month. So if you can't afford to make the monthly, you can't afford to carry it. Right. You have to sell. What do you do? Right. So so that's the kind of decision making I'm talking about, where that might have still been a successful project and still might go on to be a successful project. But you didn't make money and or you lost money because you couldn't afford to carry it. And you were you were owning from a position of weakness as opposed to a position of strength. Right. Gotcha. There you go. So we've only got, you know, 10, 15 minutes left here, but I really want to get into this key um this key segment here, which is three key considerations and the art of picking a winner. All right. So this is I the art of picking a winner. All right, picking, all right. I should take notes on this. That, one. All right. I think. Yeah. Well, first of all, we should definitely have an episode called "The Art of Picking a Winner." Because that, that's a. I think we should have a podcast called "The Art of Picking a Winner." <laughs> <laughs> so, the idea to to think about when you're venture investing is remember that this is a high failure rate, right? Yeah. If something is a venture, the odds are it's gonna fail. Right. So you have to go in mentally prepared that 
you know, granted that I think we're in a good industry and the odds are typically in our favor, but because it's a venture, any you know, most new ventures fail. So really you're going out with your hard hat on and thinking to yourself, like, okay, when the storm comes in, it's going to wipe out a lot of these boats. But see, I don't think people think like that when they invest in pink sheets, venture cap. Sorry, I shouldn't say pink sheets. Or, uh, they're two diff- very different things. But but high-risk asset classes like you think. I think people think no, nobody comes to the high-risk asset class trying to save money or trying to generate income. I think they're looking for that blue-sky opportunity. You know, like, don't take it from me. Like, look at okay, blue sky. Blue sky, uh, essentially what I mean is uh, growth potential. Like the 10X or whatever. Yeah, exactly. That's why, right? Like, look, you have a, you have a portfolio of, uh, of let's say, uh, 1000 bucks, right? You put $990 into something that's safe, it generates income. You're not going to lose that $999. But that $10 that you have, if you can turn that to $20, $30, $40, 50 60 $70, that's a lot more appealing than losing 10 bucks, right? And I think that's why people go into the venture space. Totally. Totally, but I just think it's important to go in with your eyes open. For sure. Right? Like for if, sure. If you, like for example, and, and this gets into portfolio theory, but if you've got, you know, a thousand bucks, you got to ask yourself, how much, like, how do I want to allocate this money? Right? And a and thousand, I mean, a thousand gets tough just because of share prices and stuff. But like, let's say it's 10,000, right? You know what? Let's go back to that $1,000 example because what a lot of people from the, the retail brokerage world and developing financial plans, if you can't manage $1,000 on your own personal money, you can't manage $100,000. You can't manage a million dollars. You can't manage a right. billion dollars, right? So if 1000 you might be like, yeah, like who gives a shit? Like $1,000, like who cares? It's yeah, I'll make it back next week. That is a wrong mentality to have. Right, 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 right. Uh, that, that goes from like a spending perspective, right? right, right. It doesn't matter if it's like don't spend money you don't have. Don't use right. money you don't have to invest. Well, what, one of the beauties of the stock market, in my opinion, is that you know, with with ten grand, you can do everything you could do with ten million, more or less. Right, right, right. So that's what multiples mean. Right. So the the right way to think about it is, you know, if you have a portfolio, whatever the number is, right? Like treat that like a real portfolio, right? Even Absolutely. if it's a thousand bucks, like treat it, treat it seriously. Right. Thousand dollars is a lot of money. Thousand dollars is a lot of money. And, <laughs> and I, I guess from a from a portfolio theory perspective, what I was getting into is, if you've got a thousand bucks and that's all the money to your name and that's your investment account. You know, you need, and that's where a financial advisor comes in, right? Like learning how to plan it all. Again, you might be in a position where you're willing to risk that thousand bucks, and that's your, you know, aggressive growth capital, right? And again, you don't need it for a certain period of time. You're not paying interest on it. You're willing and able to lose it, right? Or you might say, well, you know, half of it I'm going to put into blue chip, you know, dividend paying banks or whatever, ETFs, et cetera. And then the other half I'm going to put into cannabis, right? And right. so, or whatever, some kind of venture. But then again, my point is, if there's a high failure rate, maybe instead of putting 500 into one company, you know, you split it into, you know, three or four or five that you like because, you know, high failure rate, you want to spread out the risk. Well, I'm really glad that you brought it out. So spreading out the risk is also considered diversifying your risk. It's all it's basically making sure that you're not your entire portfolio. So you have a thousand bucks, okay, a hundred grand, whatever. You have a thousand dollars. That thousand dollars. You're not going to go to zero. Maybe of that $10 that we were talking about, let's talk about percentage again. Let's say $10 is high risk. Maybe that $10 goes to zero because you're diversifying, spreading out that risk. Your $1,000 doesn't go to zero. Now, they use terms like the sharp ratio. The sharper ratio means risk-adjusted return. Risk-adjusted return. You want a high-risk-adjusted return. It just means that you're taking on low risk, but you're getting high return, right? So big number on top. Yeah, I think of that as just being appropriately paid for the risk you're taking. So 
in, for example, we noticed, we talked about here the uncertainty and all the things that could change and all the things we don't know about the cannabis industry. Right. That means it's high risk, right? Risk because we don't know, right? There's a potential for loss. So that's fine as long as I'm making, like I have the potential to make outsized returns for that. Absolutely, absolutely. Right, so that that's how I think about it. Is that well, think, I will, think I'm willing to way. take the risk if I can get an attractive return for the risk. Well, think of it this way: let's let's use Bell Canada and uh, Cannabis R Us, okay, fictitious cannabis company. So Bell Canada, nine out of ten times, knock on wood, you wake up tomorrow, it's still going to be here. Sure. Okay, you give them a hundred bucks. That hundred bucks is still going to be fine, right? Remember, you're buying companies, not stocks. Cannabis R Us might not be here tomorrow. Right. So if you give them a hundred bucks, remember you're buying companies, not stocks, might not be here tomorrow. Right. Which means that that's ten percent of your thousand dollar portfolio. Ten percent of your portfolio is gone. Right. Right. That's what risk is. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the ability. It's the potential for loss. Right. Right. Okay. So let's get into. This will be the kind of the last point we have here. How do we pick a winner? The art, because it is an art. It's not a science. The art of picking a winner. So I've got three key considerations here. Okay. The first one is the overall macro picture, right? And we already talked about that, so let's just let's move on. But in sure. general, yep. you know, if you're the surfer, you want to pick the right beach, right? You yep. want to or the coastline. Yeah. You want to be in the right spot, right? Yep. That's always a positive. And I would much rather, you know, be in the be in an industry that I feel is, you know, booming rather than the other way around and try to pick a winner, right? It's just right. way harder. Hundred percent. So that's that's the macro picture. Then the next two, I'll just rattle off, are the management team. Couldn't agree with you more. That is yeah. the most important thing, in my opinion. Right. So, so okay. So, you think that's the most important, the management team, and then the actual deal and or the opportunity. Right. Right. So, let's let's start with the management team. Okay. C- can I just add to the, the art of picking a winner? What The three things that I look for mostly. So, yeah. management team is the most important thing, first okay. of all. Number one. Um, we'll go a little bit further on to it uh, in a second. Number two will be what we call the balance sheet. You want the term is called clean balance sheet. That doesn't mean that there's a coffee stain on the sheet. Doesn't mean that there's a little bit of dirt on the sheet. It means the numbers make sense. Clean yeah. balance sheet means no debt, no dilutive shares, no weird cap structure. Okay. Okay. You got ma- management team. You've got uh, balance sheet, and the last thing, barriers to entry. Right. That could be legislative. Right. That could be a physical barrier that could be a capital barrier and capital meaning money right just take a a, a whack load of money that you have right to in order for you to be successful so let's look at uh management team first so management team what i mean by management team you want to look at each individual person involved in the company from the chairman down um basically when you're looking at these management teams you want to look at what we call pedigree right pedigree is not a finance term you want to look at pedigree and pedigree essentially says that I mean, you can look at their education. The education is not the big, the most important thing. It's a resume. Yeah, yeah, you, exactly. That's it's exactly what it is. You want to look yeah. at their resume or their bio, but they're not going to give you your, their resume. They're going to give you a bio. So you want to look at, okay, like uh, John Smith was in Exploration ABC. Oh, well, guess what? Exploration ABC sunk. Hmm, maybe he's not the best CEO. Yeah, and, and you know what? It's just funny you say that because I'm so used to reading these decks, and I will often gloss over the executive team or I'll read the executive team and it'll say, oh, uh, this person was CFO of, you know, this successful cannabis company, right? And I'll go, oh, that sounds pretty good, right? Yeah. And then one time it was like this super successful company. And I was like, wait, why would he leave? Like, that doesn't, wait, what? Like, this company's on fire. Elon Musk with Tesla CEO. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
Um, yeah, like, you know, Elon's, Elon Musk's bio is like, you know, you know marketing expert, uh, engaged millions of no, customers no, his over CFO Twitter. Left. He was paying him $10 million a year in Tesla. And he, and he took off. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, don't make that much money. So, um, so the CFO of this company. So I, then I Google it. I, I said, well, what was this guy's CFO? He was CFO for like six months before the, you know what I mean? For like an interim period or right, something. Right. And then when you, when you kind of Google reports of him leaving, you know, there's some press. It's a little unclear if he got fired or if he resigned. Well, so, so that's the other thing is that, look, the exit of a company, people leave companies for multiple different reasons, whether it's career growth, whether it's they get fired, whether it's they, they're asked to leave, whether the company's downsizing, the industry's compressing. I mean, look, the exit isn't the most important thing. We've all left jobs before where, you know, you could have been okay, really working, right? Yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily look at that, but I would look at how did the company do during the time that he was he or she were the CEO. So, for instance, if the company has been in a rip and you're like, oh, my God, like John Smith was the CEO of uh, ABC Incorporated. Well, when did ABC start to rip? Oh, when John Smith left. Right. What? Well, that doesn't make sense. No, no, no. Fair, that's, that's a fair point. But I guess the point I'm making is, I, I, you know, I'd look at it and be like, oh, they're CFO of this company. And I'd be like, oh, that's a great company. Great. Moving on. But one thing I've learned from you and also from the, this team I talked to at Canaccord is like the importance of – Taking that deck, that executive team, and really like Googling every name, like digging into who is this person? What have they right. done? Yeah, they say they're a founder of, you know, XYZ company. But I mean, and I can't believe this, but, you know, the guy at Canaccord was telling me, and he was telling me about a company that I had looked at and glossed over and decided to pass. And, you know, these, these two of the people claim to be founders of this, you know, large cannabis company that got acquired, right? And that was kind of like, wow. And and he talked to them and said, well, how you know how many shares did you own? And they said, well, we got screwed over. We don't own any shares. That happens more often than not in the venture cap space, though. A prime example is Facebook, Eduardo Severin and uh, Mark Zuckerberg, right? Like, I wouldn't really look at when when you look at. So look, you can't you can't judge a management team just like you can't judge a candidate, just like you can't judge a, your your next date on Tinder just on their profile. Like you're not you don't you don't know if you're gonna marry them or you don't know if you're gonna hire them. You don't know if you're gonna put money in them. You have to see them in person. You have to meet with them. You have to so, them so what do you what do you put a lot of emphasis in when you're looking at the management team? Uh, I, 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 I'm a traditional guy. All right, I like to see uh, a, a very well-groomed, well-presented person. I feel it's disrespectful when someone shows up disheveled and late and what are hungover, right? Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I call me a snob. I, I, I think that there's there's some, that there's there's uh, importance still to it. So I think getting in front of that person. Sitting with them and just just the same way that you've been making friends since you were a kid in school. You knew that this kid was a bad kid. You knew this kid was a good kid. You have a gut instinct. Right. I was going to say it's that gut. gut instinct is going to like flare. Maybe it's IBS and you need some CBD to, to kind of <laughs> a word from our sponsors. No, but like you, you never know. Right. You need to have gut instinct. And honest to God, so a lot of it's going on like trust. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, look. Like I said, right? When I look at a deck, I open I open it backwards. I look at the cap table first, management team second, right? Yeah. Management team. When I look at it, I, I don't take too much of what what I say, right? Like you know how many Harvard grads that I've met, where I'm just like, you have a degree from Harvard? Are you? That's funny. Yeah. You said this uh, last podcast. You talk and, and you said it in passing. You said you know in the real estate world, you get people with these great pedigrees, and they went to Harvard. And it's funny because I listened back to it, and I was like. We get nobody who went to Harvard. Like, if somebody <laughs> showed up and they wanted to build a building, and they're and I'm like, "What have you done?" They're like, "Well, I graduated from Harvard." I'd be like, 
yeah, that's uh, that's a, a red flag. I'm not. I, I don't mean to like talk bad about Harvard. It's a great school. I, I just I, mean yeah, Harvard in terms of a staple of like I consider Harvard like the Rolls Royce of the. No, but the point I'm making is like it, in at least in the real estate industry, especially like in development, like it's not. Yeah, okay, education's great, but it's like that's not what you invest on. You're like, show me you've done this before, and some of the best guys and gals are people who went to usually they went to school but you know they went to they went to western they went to ryerson they went to wherever right like they're just they're hard working they're sharp enough they're social it doesn't have right. to be that they went that they're the smartest person in the room right they'd have to be smart enough or and the they have to be worker. trustworthy exactly. and, yeah, and you'll, you know, and you'll see things. that you'll see that when you meet with them you'll see that when you when, when you sit with them and and it, look in the in the cannabis space there's a very unique opportunity don't think that you can't meet with a cannabis company i mean look the the big that, ones that besides, is pretty surprising though right exactly the average investor probably doesn't think they can meet with the CEO of a company. You know what? I would love, I would love, this is, I know we asked questions at the end, but I would love for you guys to tell me how many times you, uh, of the stock, like right now, stop what you're doing, pull up your stock portfolio, look at every single line item and tell me how many companies you've met with, with the management team, and then tell me how many companies you asked to meet with, and I guarantee you the number's gonna be the same. Interesting. Like, you need to say, I wanna meet with the management team. What's the worst they're gonna say to you? No. Yeah. Right? It's just like, when you're on a date with a girl, you gotta go for the kill. If you don't you gotta ask, you gotta you gotta go you gotta for the ask. ask. You gotta go for the close. You know, ABC, always be closing. Glenn Derry, Glenn Ross. On that note, the deal. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. The so, second thing that I said after management team was balance sheet. Balance sheet, right? Okay. Yeah, so clean balance sheet. You know, no coffee stains. Make sure it's nice. So, crisp, so clean, explain quickly. Like, when you say clean balance sheet, like, what are the red flags? Um. Weird debt. Okay. That but you don't mean sense. like a convertible debenture or something. Because convertibles are kind of like that's hot right now. People do a lot of convertibles. Right. I don't know if that would show up on the balance sheet or if that would show up on the cap table. I'm not an accountant. And it would show up probably on both. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. And a convertible is just a, a structure of investment that people are using right now where instead of just straight equity, um, people are really loaning money to the company and they get like, you know, a, a, some kind of return, maybe seven, eight, 10%. Not even going that granular. Okay. On the convert side. I look at something called OPEX. It means operations expenses. Okay. And CAPEX, capitalization expenses. Okay. Capitalized expenses. Capitalization expenses. Correct me if I'm wrong. You guys. Capital expenditures. Yeah. Capital. Yeah. There you, there go. you go. Capital expenditures. Yeah. I look at those two numbers. And let's just say CapEx, usually when you look at these these cap tables, you'll see like year one, year two, year three, year four, year five. One and two will be what's actually happened. Three, four, five, there'll be an E next to it. And that E right. means expected. And so you're not talking about cap table, you're talking about financials. I'm talking about financials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right, yeah. Right. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Financials. So if you, if, you, if, you, if you dig deeper into it, if you start seeing CapEx, capital expenditures, increasing on expected you got to ask yourself, why? What are these guys spending their money on? So let's use real estate as an example. Oh, well, we're going to renovate our kitchen. The next year, we're going to renovate our living room, bathroom, powder room, whatever, cloakroom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That makes sense. Value of the property is going to go up. But if you look at a, a, a cannabis company, because we're talking cannabis for, for now, and you see capital expenditure going up, and they're using the proceeds to build up a field, the, they're using the proceeds that they're raising for right now to build out a facility. facility. Yeah. Right? Why is it going up in 3 years down the line? Are they going to expand that facility? Do they talk about that? So look at that number and look for abnormalities. 
So what's a common abnormality that's like a there's bad, no bad such news? Thing. There's no such. I mean, anything over ten percent, twenty percent, thirty percent. No, but I, I mean, like, what's something that you see a like you see three years from now? There's a big capex. Right. A, a double. So let's say this year CapEx costs $1 million. Next year it's $0, which makes sense. You take the million dollars, right. you build up the facility, zero. And then year three, it's 500000 Year four, it's a million bucks. It's like, well, why, why is this going up? Right. And ask, and ask. There's no such thing as a dumb question. Only dumb people. <laughs> but yeah, so so ask. Always ask. Don't 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 feel shy. Don't feel like I always when I even I'll talk to the most sophisticated portfolio managers. I'll talk to the most sophisticated cannabis companies, and I'll say, explain to me like I'm five. It's really important to ask questions because you learn so much from that. Yeah. And if you say to somebody, like that, that actually goes back to the first thing I said about finding somebody who's successful, however you define that. But finding yeah. and and asking them for their advice and help. One of the reasons why I think that's such an effective technique is that you're going to somebody and basically, you know, you're coming in from a very humble position and saying, hey, you know more than I do. I'd love to pick your brain. Right. That person's going to be very open with you. They're, they're going to, ex- but they're also just going to explain things to you. Like, like they're going to understand that they're talking at a higher level and they're going to, they're, I don't want to say speak down to you, but they're going to, they'll break it they're down. Gonna, yeah. They're going to break it down for you. Right. And that's what you want. Right. You don't want to, too many times, in real estate, I see young people coming in, and because they want to posture like they're experienced and they know everything, they're missing out on the opportunity to be humble and ask for the help and to for have sure. experienced people explain things to them. For sure. Right? For sure. And that's how you invest in yourself and grow. Exactly. Okay. The, sorry, the last thing I, I gave three points, and I'm going to go really quickly. So it was the last management one. team. Yeah, that's what I gave you. The last one. And then the barriers. No, no, it was barriers to entry. That was my three things I looked okay, for. So barriers to entry could be anything you could basically uh, have, uh, like for taxi drivers, they call them medallions here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. You can't drive a taxi without having well, a for, medallion. Well, for cultivation, people growing cannabis. A license, the license yeah. Right? ACMPR, and if, if the license, UGMP. Especially in a lot of states, they have limited licenses. It's right. very hard to get a license or there's caps on licenses. Right. That's a competitive advantage. That's a barrier to entry. Right. Exactly. Go. That's exactly what I And mean. they can come in many shapes and forms. And actually, it relates to my point, which is the deal. Right. So right. when I say the deal, I talk about the business opportunity. Right. Competitive advantage and or barrier to entry is a part of that. Right. Because you have to look at why is this a good business? And if it's such a good business, why isn't the next guy going to come and open one up down the street? Exactly. Right? And exactly. barrier to entry is a big part of that. Yeah. So always so, ask, what are your barriers to entry? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, great question. And Warren Buffett says he wants to invest in a wonderful business, and a wonderful business typically has a moat around it. So some kind of moat, and that can come in a lot of shapes and forms. But, for example, Coca-Cola, the idea is it has such great brand loyalty so many people drink Coca-Cola every day, and they have, they have an emotional connection to Coca-Cola in a positive way. That's a moat around their business that's very hard to uh, compete with. Right. And so, we, we touched on this on the last episode about cannabis being a commodity, two right. ways to compete, lowest cost production or uh, a brand, which right. is exactly the Coca-Cola thing. Exactly, the moat, right? So when I talk about the deal, it's really understanding what's the concept of this business. Why is this business good? Why should it get my money? Right? So that's so we got the management team, we got the balance sheet, we got the overall macro picture. This is the micro, right? Why this opportunity? What are you doing differently? Is it are you investing in a certain part of the value chain? So for example, Medifarm when they came to me said, "Look, we're one of three guys doing extraction and we're ahead of the other guys." Right? So there's the management, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but also it's like, "Look, this is our valuation, which is part of the deal." Um, and it's lower than the other people by a significant amount, so we think we're a good risk-reward, 
right? Or it's, hey, we're in these four states in the U.S. and they're limited license states, and we're this far along in our, you know, in our progress, and you know, this is where we think we're going to be in two years. So that's the deal, right? Really evaluating the opportunity, and sometimes you can find um, a good deal with a bad management team. Sometimes you find a good management team with a bad deal. Sometimes you find a good management team with a good deal, but the valuation's out of whack and it's just too expensive and- they're Or risk- too cheap. Too- <laughs> what does that, that mean? That happens, that happens more often than not. What does that Another mean? red flag is if you see a company and you're like, this is too good to be true and it's too cheap. It's like you walk into, let's say, Foot Locker, or you walk into a knockoff of Foot Locker and the Nike Air Force Ones are 60 or 50 bucks, it's too good to be true. Ask more questions. I'm gonna put an asterisk next to that. Please do. I'm gonna put an, I'm gonna put a big asterisk next to that. And I, I walked out of the Medifarm Labs meeting and I said, either I'm missing something or this is a fantastic deal. You could have walked in on Black Friday. You could have walked in on a day where it was on sale. No, Absolutely. like like so so now in retrospect, you know, it's that they priced it attractively because they you know they needed to get the money and you know et cetera. And the the you know timing of the market and the market has changed now. So you know I. When they went public, it was an $85 million valuation. Today, I think it would be closer to 200 sure. Just, Just the nature of the market and how it's evolved. But I'm just saying, like, a lot of these companies at early stage, you can get an evaluation which you're like, wow, that seems really good. But what you're not seeing is the risk factor, right? right? So you look at a company that's public and look at a company that's private. The same company, if it's, if it's private, it's probably half price, Right? Uh, yeah, from a, from a valuation perspective, but <clears throat> this will be on, an, on another episode. Who's doing the valuation on the private company? Right. Right, because the public company, the market's doing the valuation. Right. From. Who's doing the public? The, yeah, the, okay. The, 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 Fair the, enough. Fair enough. All right, that's, and that's a debate for another day. But essentially, when I look at the deal, I really want to understand the business opportunity of this. You know, where are you guys playing in the value chain? What are you doing? What are you doing differently? Like, what's on the, like what am I getting from my money? Right. right. Like, am I getting a cultivator? Are you a cultivator and extractor? Are you are you making a product? Are you a distributor? Like, what are you? Right. And and that helps me. That's how that's how I really think about it. Right. How I think about what I'm getting. Right. right? And then that the team is sort of, you know, if if if, a, if there's a NASCAR example, you know, the or actually sorry to go back to my real estate example. The the deal is the actual building. What are you looking to build? What kind of building are we going to have at the end of the day? Are we going to have right. apartment buildings? Are we going to have a retirement home? Right. What's and then the team is the actual management who's executing on it. Right. Gotcha. And the balance sheet is like the financial structure and, and you know the how the deal is structured and the actual guts of the company and the numbers. Um, and the deal is actually where I focus a lot of time and energy and. You know, talking to guys like you, Abby, and other people, it sounds like I should spend a little more time on management as well. I definitely, I think management thing is management teams are, especially in the private side, very, 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 very important. Right. Okay. So we got to wrap it up here. So a couple final thoughts. One is again a Warren Buffett thing is that um, what we've talked about here with picking a winner, the art of picking a winner, really comes down to research, taking your time, really absorbing the information and establishing what we're gonna call your circle of competence. So the idea is that you know, if you invest a lot of time and energy into a certain space, you're gonna learn and you're gonna to start to see, you're gonna to start to understand what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. And you're gonna to start to form an opinion and a worldview. And that is that will become your circle of competence. And it's very important to understand as you move through the investment world, what you know, what you feel that you know, and what you feel you don't know. 
And as you get in, for example, if you show me a piece of real estate, you know, that's industrial, I know a lot about industrial real estate. But if you show me a piece of industrial real estate in Vancouver, right, I will say to you, listen, I, I think I understand the functionality of this building. However, I don't know the Vancouver market. So before I can make an investment in this, first of all, I'd probably be more conservative because I don't know this market. But before I even think about this, I need to find a subject matter, matter expert in Vancouver who I can trust to give me some background. Right. right. To make so, it, yeah. Because I know what I don't know. Gotcha. Right. So the idea is you're trying to build a circle of competence and then you're also trying to stay within your circle of competence. So you're trying to understand when something is outside and can you expand the circle to to bring it in and learn about it? Or is it too far outside? Right. Is it something that you're just like, you know what, this isn't for me at this time. Maybe I'll keep an eye on it. But right now it's not in my circle. Right. Okay, that's about it. Last thing I want to leave people with um, is just some quick resources. So to do your research uh, on YouTube, great channel called Midas Letter, where they do interviews with companies. Now, remember, that is promotional, but it does it's a good starting place to you know learn a little bit about the management and hear about the deal and hear their perspective on it. There's a website called newcannabisventures.com. Uh, I find that to be a very good resource for news articles and even some analysis. There's also a sister website called 420 Investor. Uh, I'm a member of that. It costs $600 a year, uh, but it's it's quite good. And if you are investing, you know, a significant amount of money, it's it's probably worth it for you. Um, there's other podcasts, specifically the three I listen to are Canna Insider, Cannabis Economy, and The Green Rush. These are really good because they interview CEOs. And if you want to learn about a company and you want to hear from the CEO, look up if they've done an interview there. Most of them have. There's a Reddit sub called weed stocks um, can be a bit of the wild west however really good source of information um, good place to catch news uh, you know as always exercise your own judgment and be careful about reading too much into the comments uh, but can be a good resource and lastly and i'm a big believer of this is find events you can go to so uh, i went to one called benzinga which is where i met abby uh, i've been to one called lift and co uh, there's others out there Try to look for those events and investor-focused events, and what those are going to give you are they're going to get you exposed to other investors, they're going to get you exposed to management teams and companies, and they're going to get you deal flow. And that's, a, that's essentially what you want is you want to see a lot, a lot of deal flow so that you know, you know what deals are out there. right? If it's your first deal you're going to see, it's hard to compare it to anything. If you see 50 deals, you're going to have a pretty good feel of what's going on in the market. Yeah, you got it right on there. Any, anything to uh, to throw in there for resources or research? How you do it? No, I think you got it. Conferences, uh, using the internet, as well as listening to podcasts. Um, Sin is a really good one I've heard. Cannabis Investment Network. Cannabis Hello. Investment Network. Yeah, yeah that's, exactly. us. that's that's an amazing one. Um, the last thing I, uh, is that if you really like a company, reach out to their investor relations. Ask them. Ask them. Ask them questions. Ask them. Any like, trust me. Throw these guys off their off their game. They'll you'll you'll be surprised at what comes out. You know. And, and if you can't meet them because of geographics or whatever, phone call, call them. Yeah, call them. have a phone call. Them. Call. Why not? Email yeah. them and set up a phone call. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it's something that I haven't done. Here. I haven't done a lot of. I've done it with the private companies, but not so much with the publics. And you know what? It's something I'm going to try before we have our uh, our next episode. I, I guarantee you they would love to talk to you and uh, do it. Okay, guys, that's it. That's episode number two, How to Invest in Weed Stocks 101. And as we suspected, we still have a lot left on this list, so it's definitely a follow-up episode. But I hope you guys enjoyed it. We actually have an email now. So podcast at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, and we will catch you next time on the Cannabis Investing Network. Thank you.
This podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purposes. Any examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. None of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should seek individualized advice from from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable, but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for all investors.